Well, if I have not had the joy to meet you, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. And um, today we are going to be in week two of a three-week series called Together. And before we get into that, I want to give you two quick announcements. One is on COVID and the other is on kids ministry. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but cases have generally been on the rise. And so here's what we're doing as a church right now. Um, We still foresee meeting together as the people of God, worshiping corporately is considered essential to the human soul and the thriving of our community. Amen. So as far as we see it, that is our goal, lest there be some breakout that we can't control here. But we do have a big ask of you. Um, The ask is that you would just be very responsible. Um, There are people all over the board on this issue in this room right now. In fact, there are people here who, this is their first Sunday, back to church, probably for months and months. And so everyone is kind of just dealing with different things. We've got kids and people we live with. And so um, now more than ever, we're just asking for wisdom as we think about masks and social distancing so we can honor each other. But uh, doggone it, we just are not interested in having something break out here at the church uh, so we can continue to be together. That is our goal. Um, So be smart, be safe. And uh, kids ministry update, super excited. Next Uh, Sunday, November 22nd, we are launching Village Kids, um, all of it from nursery, zero zero years old, all the way up till fourth grade. So we're super excited. Um, Registration, um, you have to register all your kids there, but thank you to every one of you who heard the need you responded, you jumped in, and we still have ongoing needs for Village Kids volunteers, uh, but it is a joy to have our kids back in the building. Um, I see a bunch of kids here today because many of you, you actually might have a younger brother or sister in the nursery that's been open uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, kiddos, this sermon is going to be the longest sermon you've ever heard, like three hours. It's going to be amazing. I'm kidding. It will not be that long. We will honor you, but I do want to tell you all on the front end, um, about two to three times a year, sometimes 10 times a year, Year, depending on the needs, um, we will do a message that is about training. It is about teaching the people of God and training at a little bit more detailed level. And that's what this sermon is going to be. So I want to encourage you, take out a pen, a paper, your phone, your notes, your iPad, whatever you take notes on. And if anything that is on the screen, if you want any of that, um, you can just ask for it. We'll send you a PDF of everything that we put um, up front. All right, as we said, this is week two of a three-week series uh, called Together. And here's the vision of the series. To walk out of 2020, can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) Done with the year. To walk out of 2020 together in vision and unity and love. And our vision here has always been to make disciples. Now, as we train on this very subject, how to make disciples, I want to talk about developmental psychology for a moment. Developmental psychology is the study of how and why human beings change biologically, psychologically and socially, relationally. And so here's something that we know. A healthy infant is going to develop into, God willing, a healthy child. And a healthy child should be developing into a healthy adolescent. And a healthy adolescent is supposed to grow up into a mature adult. So as parents, if you have Children, this is our job. Our job is to take you from infancy to mature adult. This is the God-given mission to every mom and dad or guardian who has the opportunity to raise a child. Now, what happens when someone's physical age does not align with their psychology or 
their ability to relate socially. What happens when there's a discrepancy and you have somebody who's 25 years old, but they can't actually integrate into human life? What happens if they think like a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, but they're 45 years old? Well, here's what happens. What we do is we intervene, we diagnose, and then we adjust how we're doing things, do we not? I mean, this is normal. Now, what happens when you have somebody who is a specific spiritual age? And here's what I mean by that. It's the amount of years from this date to the day you were born spiritually. So I was born spiritually at four years old. I'm 40 today. I'm 36 years old spiritually, if you will. So what happens when somebody's spiritual age does not align with their spiritual maturity? Here's what we do. We intervene, we diagnose, and then we adjust. This is normal. And when this kind of brokenness or discrepancy is left unaddressed... It just gets worse and worse and worse. I don't know about you, but whenever you see a piece of brokenness, has it ever just gotten better on its own? No, it requires intervention. It requires addressing it. It requires uh, um, uh, diagnosing it and then dealing with what you find. So here's the deal. As a local church, we have a job. Our job is to make spiritual disciples, to help people move from spiritual infancy to becoming spiritual mature adults. This is our job. This is our passion. This is what Jesus has called us to do. And what I want to do is I want to take a moment. This is an opportunity in the front end to do some self-evaluation. I want to put up for you the four stages of spiritual development. And what I want you to be able to do is identify which stage are you currently at. Now, here's a little one-on-one on spiritual developmental stages. You might have been stage four, if you will, a year ago, and you can actually digress and revert. And so here are the four stages. Number one is spiritual infant. A spiritual infant is usually, it's supposed to be, new to the faith. Um, Ideally, they are baptized or they're about to be baptized because this is the public identification of your trusting in Jesus Christ, your affiliation with him. They are beginning to engage in a local church. Uh, They are ideally being discipled. There's an older, more mature believer who has come into their life and is helping them grow spiritually, a spiritual parent, if you will. And they are just starting to practice spiritual disciplines. Um, Like all other disciplines, it's not easy. They're working through it. They're struggling, but, but they're beginning to make this a routine. And this is spiritual infancy. The next stage is spiritual child. As somebody becomes a spiritual child, here's what they do. They're learning doctrine. They are undoing their bad theology. Like everybody comes to Christ with terrible theology. The world is not good at developing good doctrine. So what happens is you start to read God's word and you start to be discipled. You start undoing some of the thoughts that seemed so normal and right before and now they are being seen as untrue and unhelpful. You start growing in your conviction of sin. Aren't you so glad that the day you trust in Christ, the Spirit doesn't show you everything wrong with you all at once? It'd be a crushing experience. But as you start to grow, the Holy Spirit starts to show you sin inside of you that you had never seen before. A spiritual child also starts serving and meeting needs. They haven't fully gotten their head around what their purpose or calling is totally, but when they see a need, they go and meet it. When they see somebody who, who has, needs food or a ministry that has a hole in it, they go and they just fill the needs that are met. They might not be good at everything, but they're willing. That's a spiritual child. Uh, the third stage is spiritual adolescence. 
And in spiritual adolescence, what you're going to find actually is that um, you may actually start discipling spiritual infants or children, that you are beginning to learn and know and practice your spiritual calling. You start to learn what a spiritual gift is, how God has made you, where he bears fruit through you, and you start beginning to apply that and getting feedback in that process. Here, here's an interesting one. You know you're moving into adolescence because no longer do you wait to be convicted of sin. You actually begin hunting down sin in your life. You start looking for places that are standing between you and being more like Jesus, and you go on the hunt and you eradicate them. And then what happens is you are now growing, not just neutral relationships, like uh, we're, we have fun together or they're not a bad influence, but you start growing spiritually, mature relationships. In fact, you start hunting them down. There might be people in your life at this stage that you realize, you know what, as a spiritual infant or child, I could take them with me, but for me to really become more like Christ, I can't really have the proximity to them I had in the past. And finally, the fourth stage is spiritual adult. You disciple. This is what adults do, by the way, spiritual adults. They disciple people. You are very clear on your calling and you're living it out consistently. Spiritual disciplines have moved past the discipline stage where it's kind of a challenge and it starts to become second nature, a little bit more normal. Of course, it's, you're not perfect and of course it's challenging, but it's just kind of part of your rhythm. Every day you do the following things, every week, every month. You have these rhythms that are built into your life and, and no longer are you controlled by the whims of your body and all the things you want, but you have this really amazing level of self-control. You remember back in the day when you were in high school, if you felt anger, you were obligated apparently to act on it. Right? And then as you got older, you realize that when I go do that, it doesn't actually go well for me, so I now control it. You start to realize the power of self-control that you have through the Holy Spirit and your will. And then something I think really awesome happens is you move into being a spiritual adult. You move away from judgmentalism, where you demand everybody talk like you, think like you, act like you, be like you. And you actually learn to love other people, especially those different than you, uh, unconditionally. Whether or not they love you or treat you well, there is something in your heart that is affectionate and loving toward people and even, even especially your enemies. All right. Rhetorical question means don't say it out loud. Where are you? Um, if I were to ask most Christians who've been walking with the Lord for some time, they would say, oh, I'm a spiritual adult. But once you start putting adult-like practices to it, you start to maybe realize, maybe I was or I used to be, but maybe I've reverted a little bit. And, and the point of this is not to heap on shame. I want you to hear that. The point of this is, is to help you rightly evaluate the present so that as we set a vision for discipleship, you can move toward that. Uh, one of the key things about vision is you have to know not just where you're going, but know where you're at in order to make a plan to go from point A to point B. So self-evaluation is, I think, one of the healthiest things that we can do. Unfortunately, some of you, you might see this list. You might be a spiritual adult, but you're so insecure and self-condemning that you're like, ah, I'm a spiritual infant. Like, just, this is not a time for condemnation or heaping of guilt. It's a time to just say, okay, where am I? So that I can rightly assess the pathway from where I am to where Jesus is calling me to be. So here's what's happened in COVID. Uh, COVID has revealed, and the election season, I should add, um, that we as the American church, and I would say at Village Church as well, um, we are not growing mature Christ followers in the way we need to. 
that there are some gaps and deficiencies in this process. Now, in America, let me just share with you the default process for making disciples. The default process is this. My family and I go to church 2.5 times per month because that is the national average pre-COVID. Now, during COVID, it's probably 1.4, 1.5 times per month. I cross my fingers, we pray at the dinner table, and we hope everything just works out. Is that a great strategy for making disciples of Christ in this world? It's not. And so what we've learned is we actually have to do some training about how to intentionally make disciples because the vast majority of Christians in this season have buckled, reverted, and we are not being who God has made us to be. And again, that is not to condemn. That is to say, let's take a good, honest self-evaluation. Let's set a plan together and let's pursue being disciple makers. All right. So Jesus gave us a mission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go and make, say it with me, disciples. It's not negotiable. This is like, you must do it. Uh, This is the direction that we are going. Uh, I want to give you a bit of a refresher on what a disciple is. In the first century, there's a Hebrew word for disciple. The word is talmid. And this is a word that means a student who is devoted to complete imitation of his rabbi. And so a Jewish rabbi would go to a 12 or 13-year-old boy, would call it the boy and say something like this, you come and follow me. And this was the honor of the boy's lifetime. And the boy would follow the rabbi. And when the boy would make the decision to follow the rabbi, there was a commitment. The commitment was to obsessively imitate the rabbi's head, mind, thinking, doctrine, beliefs, and way of thinking. The rabbi's heart, passions, what angered him, what made him the most amount of happy, like what what, what gave fire to this guy. And so you took on the fire and the passion of your rabbi. And then the lifestyle, how did he pray? When did he pray? How did he teach? And you would devote yourself to complete imitation. So Christian discipleship, let's define it for us now because really we don't have the rabbinical system here in the 21st century like they did. This is simply when a more mature Christ follower intentionally helps another know and imitate Jesus. Very simple. You have a Christ follower who's a little bit further along. They come alongside of somebody who's a bit less mature and they help that person know and imitate Jesus. Now, one last piece from last week I want to share with you. I want to revisit with you our three so what's to set the stage for how important this is. Uh, First, so what is discipleship is what churches do. We don't have the option to not do this. So what number two is the future durability of Village Church and really any church, it is contingent on building resilient disciples. This is our job. We have to build resilient disciples so that when something worse than COVID happens, which it will, the people of God endure. And then we had a last so what, which is for you individually. Your future durability depends on your personal discipleship of Jesus now. Uh, My heart for you as your pastor is that as life happens, you would be resilient and durable and you would, as Jesus says, persevere. This is God's heart for you. It is our heart for you. And we want to do anything we can to get you there. All right. If somebody was willing to follow Jesus, Jesus had five intentional ingredients. These ingredients was, are, are how he would make disciples. If you were here with us a year ago, I had a brief section of a sermon where we went through this. And what I want to do is I want to go over this again with you. Now, I also want to talk to those of you who are moms, dads, guardians, and grandparents. Because if you want to make disciples of your children, 
you will apply these five principles. Jesus has modeled for us how to make disciples. And so we do this in the church. We do this in our homes. We do this in our relationships. There are five things that when they come together, the net result is that discipleship happens. And so if somebody really wants to be discipled as a disciple maker, we put these five things into practice. So this is for those of you who are working in kids ministry, student ministries, college ministry, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas. This applies everywhere. It's Jesus's method. And I think it's genius. And I think it would behoove us to not do this. Five ingredients. They are summed up in the, in the acronym TERMS. Why TERMS? because it's easy to remember. By the end of this message, you will know the terms of discipleship and it will be seared into your brain. Uh, Each of the letters, T stands for truth. E stands for experiences. R stands for relationships. M stands for ministry. And S stands for spiritual disciplines. Now, as we go through these, I also want to draw your attention to one other thing. If you have trusted in Jesus, he is your rabbi He is still discipling you. And these five things are things he is doing to you and for you, for your spiritual maturity. As we go out throughout this message, I want you to actually think about how is Jesus doing these things in my life as my personal rabbi? Now, here's the first term of discipleship, truth. And by truth, I want to be very clear. I mean God's word. So I want you to hear me. Getting God's word in you must be the top priority of a disciples every single day. If you are going to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus, getting God's word in your mind and your heart must become one of your top priorities. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter five. Open up there. As you're going there, God's word, it is like eating Without it, you become spiritually malnourished. And when somebody is spiritual, spiritually or, or physically malnourished, do you know what they don't want to do? Eat. So what happens is we have to overcome the lack of desire. And as you overcome the lack of desire, eating becomes normal and easier. And so here's what happens. We have a whole bunch of malnourished believers spiritually because the word of God is not being brought into their life on a daily basis. Hebrews chapter five, verse 12. Here's what happens. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should be able to open up God's word, explain to people, you should be making disciples. He says, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's the word of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What is spiritual milk? It is very simply the very basics of the faith. And so the author of Hebrews is explaining in this very complex book, actually, very deep things. What he's recognizing is that There are people who are reading this. And as he's dealing with the deeper, weightier things of God, they're like, uh, they haven't even gotten the basics down. They're like, who is Jesus? Is salvation really by faith and not by good works as the Jewish people love to believe? And they're debating these really 
basic, basic things. And he's like, listen, your spiritual age, you're at an age where you should be able to open up God's word and explain the deeper things of it to other people. But you're not. You're actually, maybe spiritually, you're 20, right? In real years, but in actual years, you're, you're like, a, like a one or two-year-old infant, you're made for more than this. You guys are being maybe kind of lazy. That's what he's saying to him. But in verse 14, he says this, but solid food, it's for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained, and it's trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is solid food? Solid food is self-control, loving your enemies, knowing and living your spiritual calling, defending the faith, digging into the deeper doctrines of God, being a disciple maker instead of just one who is always needing a spiritual adult to help them take another step. Turn your Bibles with me to John 17, 17. I remember when I was in junior high, um, I think it was, it was either eighth or ninth grade, junior high, high school. I, I heard this uh, verse for the first time and I learned what would become one of my favorite words in the Bible. And the word is sanctification or sanctify. And sanctification is basically God making you more holy or God making you more like Jesus because he is the persona or personification of holiness. And so this idea that God wants you to be sanctified and is very important. Jesus says this, he's praying, God sanctify, make them more holy, make them more like me, but do this in or by the truth. And in case there's any confusion on what he means, he, he clarifies and he says, your word is truth. That it, Jesus understood that if they are going to become mature spiritually, that it is going to happen because central to their intake, their spiritual nourishment is going to be time in the word. And they're going to start moving from the simpler things to the deeper things. One of the things I've loved about being a Bible teacher is that I remember when I would start teaching through a passage of scripture and I would be like just amazed at what I would find in it. And I remember like I would teach on a passage and I thought there's no way I'm ever going to be able to pull more out of this text. Like I think I have dug the depths of this text as far as it can go. Five years later, I would teach on the same passage of scripture and lo and behold, I had barely scratched the surface. And I would dig deeper and I was like, whoa, this is mind blowing. And then I would think to myself, there is no humanly possible way I have left any aspect of this text unturned. And five years later, I'd go back to this text. I would teach it again. I'd be blown away again. It's like no matter how many times I go back to the same word, it's filled with riches and depth that I never knew were there because the mature person does not believe they've mastered anything. The mature person knows that underneath the word of God are riches and God often only reveals to us that which we can really understand in the moment. And so what we understand is that we go back to God's word, not, not believing that I have attained or mastered any singular text, but that there is still a deeper place to go spiritually. All right, so at the end of each of these terms, I'm gonna ask a self-reflection question. I'm gonna share with you a personal illustration and then I have a word of encouragement for those of you who are disciple makers. So here's a self-reflection question. How specifically can I intentionally intake God's word daily? How specifically can I more intentionally intake God's word daily? So the first person who discipled me was my mom. My mom had left religion and she had learned that salvation was not by accruing a bunch of good works and going to church. She had learned that salvation was through placing your faith in, in Jesus. 
And I was going to Catholic school. I went from Catholic school from first grade all the way to the end of 12th grade. And, and so my mom, um, she started discipling me and she started teaching me the milk of God's word. It's interesting because she had just got her head around the milk and she had already started giving it away to her four boys. And so as a young boy going to Catholic school with a mom who's a brand new Christian, she taught me two basic awesome truths. Number one, she would tell me, Michael, no matter what anybody says, salvation is not by good works. It is by faith, by trusting in Jesus. Beat this into my head. So I'd go to Catholic school and the Catholic teachers would tell me, good people go to heaven. And I would raise my hand. I'd, I'd be quoting Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'd, and so like, I was just, I was a nuisance. You know, I just wouldn't let it go. And then the second thing she taught me was that the Bible is God's word. Whatever it says is true. Two of the most basic fundamental things and then she made sure that we were part of Bible studies and I was learning how to take in the Bible and going to church and, and different things. And, and what she did is she instilled in me these two basic things. Here's the gospel and here's the word of God. Get them into your brain. And they guided me all the way, out, all the way through junior high and high school. They were the non-negotiables in my life. For disciple makers, intaking and processing God's word is a non-negotiable for those you disciple. If, if somebody says, Michael, I want you to disciple me personally, and they are not willing to commit themselves to daily intake of God's word, I will not do it. I'm gonna tell you why. Because it's all uphill battle from there. And so if you're gonna disciple somebody, you just go to them and you say, here's the non-negotiable. If I'm gonna spend my time investing, I need to know that you're getting God's word into your mind and your heart every single day. Let's put a specific plan together. The terms of discipleship, number two, E stands for experiences. Um, in discipleship, there are two kinds of experiences. Here's the first kind. This is a, called a designed experience. These are out of the ordinary experiences designed to help you mature spiritually. So for example, um, this might be a retreat. Do you remember the first retreat you might have gone on, like this spiritual high, this experience where you met with God? It might be a conference. It might be a mission trip. It might be when you learned to serve the poor. It might have been just a sermon that a pastor designed. You showed up at the message and it's like, this was a moment that God had designed just for you. He prepared your heart and your mind for this moment and that pastor and that sermon. And it just was one of those moments where God moved in your life. I don't know if you know this, but God is orchestrating and designing experiences for you in heaven. Like when you get to heaven, you could look at him and say, can you just tell me about some of the things you designed in my life to, to grow me spiritually? And he said, he'll say, you remember that? Oh, I put that together. You remember that series of events? Oh, that was my providence. I orchestrated all of this. And, and little us, we just think that we're just living life, going through things, not realizing that our God is always up to something, designing experiences for us to grow us spiritually. This is what Jesus did, by the way, with the disciples uh, in the boat. Remember this? He designed uh, this entire experience when the boat was sinking and he's sleeping to show the disciples his power over nature. Unforgettable experience where they would never forget from this day forward that Jesus has power over nature. The feeding of the 5,000 on multiple occasions, actually to show his personal and supernatural provision. Peter in the boat, it's sinking. It was designed to teach them all about faith and trustworthiness. 
The triumphal entry was designed to show the disciples that Jesus is the fulfillment of multiple prophecies. Praying with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was designed to show them both his full humanity and his full divinity. The last Passover, right before his execution, was designed to put the cross in its right theological context. I mean, Jesus designed experiences for the disciples and for his people on a regular basis. And these were unforgettable moments that they would fill with the stories of the Gospels. Here's the second kind of experience. This is redeemed experiences. This is intentionally bringing the gospel and truth into out of the ordinary experiences. Uh, there are things that just happen in life. Sometimes God ordains them. Sometimes he allows them. And there are these big kind of shocking moments where life just sort of stops. Maybe it's the death of someone you love. Maybe it's an unexpected heartache or challenge. Maybe it's an unexpected opportunity and blessing in front of you where kind of everything as you know it just kind of goes on pause so here's what I know as a discipler. When the person I'm discipling has one of these pause your life out of the ordinary moments, we stop and we bring God's word and truth and vision into this circumstance. Whenever there's an out of the ordinary moment, God is up to something. And so as a person who's being discipled by Jesus, whenever the, your whole world just kind of stops, go before the Lord and ask him, what are you up to? And if one of your children or your grandchildren, if they have this odd, just this, this, this event, I mean, I, gosh, I remember in second grade and fourth grade getting made fun of. These were like my whole life stopped. And as a parent, I have this opportunity with my kids. Sometimes there are these really drastic things that happen in their world and we stop and we just, we bring redemption to these things. We didn't design this, but doggone it, it's in front of us and we're gonna, we're gonna really bring God's word and God's truth into this. Here's an example. Jesus, I mean, he was so intentional with redeeming these. You have the woman at the well, just going about her normal everyday life. Jesus sees her and he sees this opportunity and he brings truth in God's word to this and brings redemption there. Uh, Jesus is teaching in a home and all of a sudden there's a hole that starts to get caught, cut in the roof and then someone's like, hey Jesus, what's up? And they drop a person in and he's like, well, I could either yell at them or we can redeem this moment. So he redeems the moment. Uh, he hears word that Lazarus is about to die. He dilly-dallies, lets him die. People are mad at him. And then he shows up and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He finds himself in these regular circumstances and then uses them to bring God's truth and redemption into them. So here's the question for you. Are there currently experiences that God has designed for you to mature you spiritually? I want you to think about this. Are there, are there experiences that God has designed, ordained, allowed, or permitted in your life to mature you spiritually? For some of you, actually, there are some things that have happened in the past and you still haven't learned what God wants you to learn from them. So you may actually want to go back and revisit some of those. As a personal illustration, um, I've shared this with you many times, but many of you don't know me or how I work or think or function. And, and so every year I take about a week, five, seven, ten days, and I go out west usually completely alone. The reason I do this is I really sensed about a decade ago, the Lord just saying, I need you to like get away. I need you to spend time. Life is flurried. And, and the Lord just met me there. It was almost like he designed this entire thing just to be with me and for my benefit. And so every year, except for COVID, doggone it, um, I have gone out west and spent a week alone 
um, walking on beaches and deserts. And every year, I never cease to be amazed. The Lord has designed this experience for me personally to meet with me, to encourage me, to minister to me, because he loves me. I am an extrovert. Let me tell you, going and being alone for five, seven, or 10 days is sort of sometimes a borderline nightmare, right? I start talking to myself, and I'm like losing my brain. But the Lord is like, I want to meet with you. I want to spend time with you. And I've just been struck that the Lord is intentionally designing and then bringing redemption to experiences in my life. If you're a disciple maker, I have an encouragement for you. Craft intentional experiences for the people you desire d- disciple. They don't have to be huge. They can just be meaningful and intentional. Sometimes the Lord might give you the opportunity to craft something really significant to make a very specific spiritual point in their life. Do these things. Put in the hard work because the people you disciple will never, ever forget it. Terms of discipleship number three, relationships. These are relationships that I pursue intentionally to mature me spiritually. In Jesus's earthly ministry, he was so intentional. I think about the women in Jesus's life He saw after them in very unique, intentional, and respectful ways to make them disciples. I think about the 12 disciples, this group of 12 young men that he pursued and spent time with and invested in. And of the 12, he set apart the three, Peter, James, and John, and they uniquely got the best of Jesus on a regular basis. Uh, Some people don't always know where to find relationships. Let me give you a handful of examples of spiritual relationships in your community groups. Uh, Maybe it's time for you to move from just being there and being a dunce to actually engaging. (laughs) Mentoring. Some of you are being mentored by somebody. That's just another word for discipleship, by the way. Maybe you're in professional counseling or you're in pastoral counseling. Uh, It's a temporary relationship to address a specific issue, but doggone it, that's also can be a temporary form of discipleship. Accountability groups. Some of you meet with men and men or women with women to really work through some of the things in your life that you are trying to overcome. Ministry teams, I think working and serving together in ministry can be some of the most edifying, awesome relationships. And then there's also an aspect of this where we let unhealthy relationships go, as we said earlier. That as you mature spiritually, there are some people who just can't come with you because you, you really just didn't either have the strength or it's not appropriate for them to move into this next season of life with you. Self-reflection question. Who by name am I walking in front of next to, and behind spiritually? Who by name am I walking in front of, next to, and behind spiritually? From seventh grade to 11th grade, I had the same small group. And I had my entire junior high and high school experience. I had an older man who loved God and invested in me personally. In fact, two of the guys in my small group, um, they are pastors out West and we were together for many years in a small group. And it's amazing how in this time, the Lord knit our hearts together, but also we always had an older man investing into our lives and it profoundly shaped us spiritually. For disciple, disciple makers, as you think about the people you're discipling, Do those you disciple have relationships with other believers that help them grow spiritually other than you? Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas and guardians, if you have kids at the church and they are meeting with other leaders, spiritual leaders, kidsmen leaders, forge leaders, college leaders, and those godly adults are investing and pouring into your kid's life, praise God, thank God for that, and lean into it. 
Lean into it. Because to disciple kids in this time is a whole community effort. Praise God when older men and women want to come alongside of you and invest spiritually into your children. Champion that. Term number four, ministry. This is something that I'm committed to regularly in order to build Jesus' kingdom. First Peter chapter 4, verses 10. He says, as each has received a gift. If you're a believer, have you received a gift? Yes. A gift synonym is a ministry. They're the same thing. That's what he's talking about. If you received a gift, he's saying you received a ministry, a calling, something that God is asking you to do. He says, use it to serve one another. Everything Jesus did with these 12 disciples was geared at preparing them for their own personal ministry where they would leave and they would go in different directions all over the known world and they would bring the gospel to people groups who did not have the gospel. Everything a discipler does for the disciplee is to prepare them and to train them in ministry. This is a necessary output of what we are making. Here's a self-reflection question. What specific ministry am I committed to that has a regular demand on my life? We, every one of us, are made for ministry. I want to be clear on this. I don't care if your ministry is at Village Church. I care that you are engaged regularly in building the kingdom of God in such a way that it costs you something somewhere. My second mentor was a guy named Brian. When I was in 12th grade, the reason I left my small group was because Brian called me and he said, Michael, I want you to lead a small group with me. It was a small group of a bunch of 10th grade boys. Now, I had never led anything before, but Brian taught me how to be an authentic leader. He taught me how to discover my spiritual gifts. He put a Bible in my hands for the first time with the intention to teach. Brian came alongside of me for an entire year. He called out sin inside of me. And there were times, especially at the beginning, where I loved telling people that I was leading a group more than I actually liked leading a group. I liked the way it made me look that somebody like called me out to be a leader. He corrected me on that as well, said that's arrogant and not why we do things. And I remember this guy just comes over and he teaches me how to do that. And I have been serving ever since that day, whether it's been in a paid position as a pastor or not. The Lord put a fire in my bones for ministry because of that experience. So disciple makers, is the person I'm discipling committed to some weekly, regular ministry where they're building God's kingdom? Term number five, spiritual disciplines. These are spiritual practices done daily or on a schedule so that we might know and love God. If you notice that like every pastor ends their sermon with, now go read the Bible and pray. (laughs) Now it can become a little bit cliche, but can I just tell you why these are so fundamentally important and the basis of all other disciplines? Because the word of God is like nourishment for your soul and prayer is like rest for your soul. Have you ever met somebody who is malnourished and underslept? They are a grumpy goat, not the, not the greatest human being to be around. And here's what we know. When we are malnourished spiritually and we are not at rest in our souls spiritually, everything else is so much harder. This is the foundation. It is the milk. It's the basics. It's the one-on-one. This is what disciples do. And so Jesus taught them God's word. He illustrated God's word, publicly debated God's word, showed them the heart behind God's word, showed them how to put this into personal practical discipline in their life. And then we move over to prayer. He taught them how to pray. That's the Lord's prayer. He prayed in front of them out loud, John 17. Uh, Jesus, I mean, somehow the disciples were in his presence, hearing his personal prayer life. And then they documented the entire prayer so that we might hear how Jesus prayed privately. 
He showed them how to pray, which is always and especially first thing in your day. He talked about his prayer life. He talked to them about his prayer life for each one of them, shared with the things he was praying about, some of the concerns he had because of the time he spent in prayer for them. I mean, this was central to how Jesus made disciples. He made sure that these men understood that the word of God and prayer are two personal disciplines that nobody can do for you. There are things that you have to do to grow and nourish your soul and bring rest and peace to your soul through prayer. Like these are just one-on-ones and they are essential. So here's a question for you. Which discipline am I most consistently applying? And I want to encourage you as you identify that, lean into it. And if it's not scheduled, schedule it. And then conversely, look at the other one and just say, okay, God, how, how can I make this to be a part of my intentional day? Because this is what disciples do. Um, I remember way back in the day uh, before phones, I had a pocket Bible and it would always sit in my left-hand pocket and then the whole um, pocket got a whole crease and you could see the shape of the Bible in the pocket. But I would, I would take this thing with me every day. You know how like now you leave the home and you're like, okay, keys, wallet, phone. For me, it was keys, wallet, Bible. And it would always be there no matter when I left. And I, everywhere I go, I'd go to the bathroom, I'd read the Bible. I'd have a couple minutes alone, I'd read the Bible. I'd be between classes, I'd read the Bible. And it was this discipline that I just put into my life. And the more I did it, the easier it became. And God absolutely blessed that. And honestly, those years in college, from my freshman year to my, to my probably sophomore year, were two of the most transformational years of my life. Because for the first time, I daily spent an unbelievable amount of time in God's word and in prayer. And my personal transformation uh, was accelerated because of those. So if you are a discipler, um, can you identify that the person you're discipling has a consistent plan for daily Bible study and spending time in prayer with the Lord. If not, you need to come back to them and make sure that's happening. I want to share with you an illustration that brings all of this together. When I came to Village Church, it was 2001, I started attending the church. In 2003, I came on staff at Village Church. When I came on staff, uh, I remember because part of my area of oversight had to do with um, students and some aspects of student ministries overlapped with Awana. And I remember one of the first things I was told, don't touch Awana. And I'd never heard of Awana. In fact, I I mean, I thought at first, I was like, what is this Awana thing? It's a weird word if you don't know the word. So as I got to know Awana, I started to see that like it was sacred. And, And I was like, this is like, people are really committed to this thing. Like, this is a big deal. And as I had kids, we put our kids in Awana. And I was amazed. I was amazed because it actually started bearing fruit in my kid's life. And I was so encouraged. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then how many people in our church actually worked at Awana? I was just trying, everywhere I went, Awana. And passionate about it. And I just remember this phrase, don't mess with Awana. Why? And why were people so obsessed with it? Why were people so committed to it? Because it worked. It made disciples. Let me tell you why it worked. Works. It's because they took all five terms of discipleship in an age-appropriate fashion, brought them together for kids. Awana is rooted in God's word. This, nobody, Awana is paying me to say this, by the way. This is just personal observations. It's rooted in God's word and memorizing God's word, taking it from your head and putting it into your heart. 
I think about Sparky's and uh, Dave and Sandy Von Ehrenkirk, and um, they've since moved, but they would create all of these events in Sparky's that were just kind of un- unforgettable experiences to make spiritual points. I think about ministries in this terms of discipleship. They would have the kids go out on a regular basis. They'd all get in a bus and they would travel to different um, homes and sing for people and serve different groups of people. And, and they brought ministry into this thing and the kids would remember this. I think about relationships and I think about uh, every single kid is in a relationship with somebody throughout the entirety of the year and they're pouring into them and they are, they are working together to memorize God's word and there's accountability with this. I think about spiritual disciplines. They're taught how to read God's word and how to pray. All five of these came together in a way that was age appropriate and it bore incredible fruit. And if you start looking at what works in disciple making, what you're gonna find, I promise you this, you're gonna find the terms of discipleship, the more and more that are applied with a specific person in an intentional disciple-e-discipler relationship, you're going to find spiritual growth and maturity. You're gonna find people who move from infancy to childhood, to adolescence, and ultimately to spiritual maturity and adulthood. And this is our desire, isn't it, Village Church? I want to give you two so what's. Number one, have I committed to personally imitating Jesus by first trusting him as my Savior? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? Do you believe salvation is not by the accruing or building up or doing more good works? Do you believe that Jesus was good for you? If you are there, I want to ask you, have you personally asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to save you? Because you cannot be a disciple of Jesus until you first trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do that, he will give you his spirit, his people, and his word, and all of his resources will be allocated to your spiritual maturity and growing. So at number two, make one decision today. Take one next step today. We talked about a lot of things. We're building a framework and training for you so you can come back to this at a later time and date. Rather than be overwhelmed personally, make one decision. I am confident that when we talk about the very point of the church, making disciples for the glory of God, and we spend 46 minutes and 38 seconds doing this, that God might want there to be something for you in this. Take one next step. Now, as we close our time, we're going to celebrate communion together. And one of my convictions is that Jesus did not just die to save you from hell, but he died to give you life. The most abundant life is found in imitating Jesus, the pinnacle human, the best human. Becoming like Jesus is to enter into life. And so for some of you, um, communion is going to be an opportunity where you are honestly reminded that you have probably fallen short of following Jesus and you are being reminded in communion that your sin is covered and there's no condemnation for those in Christ. For some of you, this is an opportunity for you um, just to be incredibly profoundly grateful for what God has done for you. But here's what I know. Jesus died not just so that you would be saved from hell, but that you might have life and follow him and in the pursuit of following him, find real life. Now, if you look under your seat, there are um, cups. There's a piece of bread on top and juice underneath. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a time of silence. And after that, I'm gonna read scripture. We're gonna partake together. Here are the rules for communion, very simple. If you are new with us, but you have trusted in Christ, doesn't matter where you go to church, um, if you are a brother and sister in Christ, I want to invite you to partake with us. For kids in the room, you are allowed to partake of communion if your mom and dad let you and if you have personally 
trusted in Jesus. So let's have a time of silence before the Lord before we partake of communion.